How about that? Aren't we such wimps? I mean, did Jesus have microphones? Did John Wesley, George Whitfield have microphones? No. You know, that's why they say he preached along the Sea of Galilee a lot, because the echo and the dynamics would be able to go to large body. All right. We're good? You know, I know you record that message thing. I've already told you beforehand, but you can go ahead and start it now that I have a mic, and I'm just going to go from here. How's that? All right. Okay, come awake, come alive. You're just coming off that video. You got everything they had on there, right? Um, When I was in college and I was contemplating going to ministry, I went to this Bible camp at Lake Erie, uh, north part of Ohio. And Orrin Morrow, longtime radio broadcaster, he was preaching. And I remember interacting with him somewhere afterwards there. I can't recall how it came about. But he said, if you want to be a preacher, this is what he got to remember every time you step up. You've got 30 minutes to raise the dead. How do you like being called dead today? But isn't it true, the whole aspect for us to come awake, to come alive, we have to engage and realize that life has a natural dulling effect and begins to move us into just commonplace living, discouragement, overwhelmed by our responsibilities. But when we come back, to the truth of Scripture and who we are if we are followers in Jesus Christ, we realize that we have come awake and we need to be awake. I want to pause for a few moments. I'm going to have a a prayer here in a second. I want us to pray for us as a body and I want to pray for you, whether you're a longtime person of this church or maybe you're just new this morning. Because what we're about is not just doing church, not just playing church. We are about taking the gospel of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news, the power of his resurrection, his transforming life, and providing it and offering it to a world that's in desperate need in all those ways that the video just described. And today, this very day, whether in this room or outside this room, whether in other churches around the valley, there are people who need to hear the good news to be able to come awake and alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we believe it so much as a body of people, do we not, that we affirm to rename this church the Awakening Church. Not that we're some raucous, flamboyant, emotional kind of church necessarily, but we are going to be a church that's alive in the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, understanding what it means to be fully alive in Him and have His life in us, and to be alive on mission to take the good news of Jesus Christ to every man, woman, and child within our reach, within our networks and our domains. Now, I remember, I think it was when I came back, I've been here now seven months. See, this is a little bit of a swing Sunday for us. Because next week is um, uh, Memorial Day weekend. And so some of you aren't going to be here. I know that. That's what happens on Memorial Day weekends, right? And we, we comings and goings. But it's sort of like the unofficial kickoff to summer, is it not? And so, all right, summer's here. So we go from people showing up two out of four weeks down to one out of four weeks sometimes on Sunday. That's just sort of the way it is. Now, I think you should be here as often as you can. If that's four out of four, I'm really happy with that, right? But all of us will have some comings and goings and that kind of thing. So I'm mindful of that. So this is sort of a a swing gate Sunday, realizing that we're culminating a run. And this run uh, goes back um, not... uh, I mean, it goes all the way back to November when I came. But I remember when I came back uh, in January from uh, the winter break and being able to get our house, trying to get our house on the market back in Indiana. And all those a part of 
those ongoing transitions still for us. Uh, I remember standing up in front of you and say, how are you doing with all the change? And I said, well, guess what? There's going to be more change. It's just going to keep coming. And I want to encourage you that you've done well as a church body with so many changes that have gone on in the last uh, few months, but in particular the last few weeks. And I want to just give my affirmation, encouragement as a friend and as a pastor to say we are seeking to be on the mission that God's called us to since, um, in particular, we rebranded the church on April the 6th. We came rolling into Easter and had some great Sundays there. We've been continuing to work with the renovations of the facility. And, and we're getting closer and closer. I actually got my office back this week. I was thrilled. Now if I can get a light switch in there, I'll be really happy. Uh, and Susan just told me before service how I can get my air conditioner turned on. And that was really good. But, you know, we have a lot of uh, change, not just uh, with the, the leadership dynamic from uh, the senior pastor level, but also with the facility issues with comings and goings of, of individuals and even different people. We've had changing of staff in the guard. Um, and, and we just continue, I think, to try to press forward in what God has called us to do for not only the weekend gathering, but also during the course of the week, as I hear different ones of you getting together and some of the missional community groups and things that we'll just continue to press out on. I mean, yesterday there were 66 ladies. Is that right? At the ladies' tea, which is really cool. And you Skyped my wife in from Indiana. That was probably pretty scary. And uh, anyway, uh, we, uh, I think, should just pause and thank God for his goodness in this run. We've hit the mark on some things. We've not hit the mark on other things. But that's all right. That's why God continues to be gracious with us. We continue to, to look at how we can strengthen our children's ministry. You had the VBS encouragement, and that's going to be happening this, Sunday, um, this summer, vacation Bible uh, school. And uh, student ministry has gone through some transition. We had an unexpected uh, resignation of, of the leader, Jonathan um, Mills, in that. But we've had um, Josh and Tiff, Axine, have just stepped right in, and they're running with it. We're so excited about that. And uh, God bless Jonathan and Liz. They made a choice of their own to move on. But I'm excited because I always heard rumor when I came to this church that Josh and Tiff used to run the youth group in the old days when you were a student, right? It's like, oh, man, they, 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 they packed it out at their house and that kind of thing. Hey, we're having a pizza party over there afterwards today, right? If you're a parent, stay with your kid. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, little tangent there. But I, I, I'm just, you know, you have to catch these moments in time. And sometimes, instead of just continuing to say, I'm going to charge the next hill and charge the next hill, it's just thank the Lord for the gift that he's given us as a body and the vision that he's set before us and the ownership of that. And thank the Lord and just continue to pray for his blessing upon it. And I don't know what the summer holds, the comings and goings, different things. I actually, I will be here next Sunday. Uh, so, and, but I'm leaving right after church next Sunday. You can pray for for me and, and my wife, we are going to load up a big Penske rental truck and move our belongings to a rental house that uh, we take on June 1. And that's probably not too scary until, for at least for me, our, um, our mixed lab dog Maggie is going to be with us in the front bench seat of this Penske for 2,000 miles. But we've got to get the dog here. If you get the dog here, you know you've fully landed, right? So, 
that's our adventure, and we'll, we'll arrive on the 31st. And I'm not missing a Sunday, but anyway, I, all these transitions going on. But I just want to pause, and I want you and your spirit to join me. And thank the Lord for his blessing, his protection. But thank him for the vision and the calling he set before us to see people come awake and come alive. We're going to continue our series and conversations with Jesus this morning. And and we're going to look at the life of an individual that he allowed to come awake and to come alive in him. And it's an example of what we're called to do in our life with others and what Jesus wants to do in our life. You pray with me. Our Lord Jesus. (laughs) Wow. Another week blew by. But Lord, you are at work. You are at work in our hearts. You are at work in our church body. And you were at work in the lives of people who are not following you this very hour. Because you love them and you created them. And you have called us to engage with you in that work. Lord, you led us to rename this church the Awakening Church so that people would come fully alive in you and to your mission. And we just pray again this hour that your blessing would reside upon us as a people to do that good and faithful work. Lord, may we come awake every hour of every day to the richness we have in you even when life isn't going our way. But may we find our hope and our trust in you and may we be willing to step out of our comfort zones and share that hope and trust with others. So, Lord, we pray for your blessing. But in praying for your blessing, we acknowledge your goodness in these weeks and these months. Lord, you um, have blessed us with so many good people, a part of this body, and new people who have been coming. And Yes, Lord, others who maybe felt led to transition on to other places. Um, Lord, it's all in your kingdom. There is only one church in your kingdom. And Lord, we pray that we would be a faithful expression of your local body to the people you've called us to reach in this valley, that we would rock the valley not for our name's sake, but for your glory. Lord, may we find ourselves continually uh, in a submitted, humble spirit before you, asking that you would lead and guide and direct, that you would heal us, that you would forgive us, that you would inspire us, that you would lead us forward, that we would be filled with your Spirit, that we would understand your directions, not just every week, Lord, but every hour of every day. For, Lord, you're choosing to use us in mighty and powerful ways, and we are a blessed people that you've chosen to do that. Lord, we thank you. We acknowledge your goodness in this run, and as we step into the summer weeks, I pray your protection upon the body, but Lord, may we be a people who see not, not only our activities as means of being able to encourage our own family and build memories, but our activities as means of intersecting and coming across the lives of people that we can point to you. So Lord, help us build bridges of trust with others that will support the weight of truth that you want us to speak and to bring into their life so that indeed they can become fully alive in you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we ask for your blessing in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, for most women, coming to the well was the highlight 
of their day. Because it was at the well that they would meet their friends and their family members and uh, their neighbors. When they came, they would uh, take their turns lowering the bucket into the deep well and pulling water out. But while they took their turns and waited on one another, the children would play and they would be able to, to visit with one another. They came twice a day to the well. They came early in the morning when uh, the coolness of the night air was still hanging around. And then they came in the evening after the sun had gone down. But this woman was different. She came at noon. And she dredged herself across the dusty path. Her eyes squinted from the blazing sun overhead and her head down. There was another reason, though, that she had her head down. She didn't want to see the stares of the villagers as she made her way to the well that was outside the town. But she couldn't block off and she couldn't shut down what she heard. Hey, 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 there, there she is. Did you, did you hear she has a, has a new man? I hear she'll sleep with anyone. Shh, 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 here she comes. She went to the well at noon because she knew that she would be alone. She was a Samaritan, so she knew the sting of racism. And she was a woman, so she had carried the burden of sexism. Plus, she had been married five times. Five different men. Five different beds. Five different moments of rejection in her life. She knew the sound of a slamming door. You know, some people, like her, they know what it is to love. But they also know what it's like to not have that love received. Her current mate wouldn't even give her a ring because he figured, well, what's the use? I'm just going to ask for it back once I'm done using her anyway. You know, some people, they go through life hurting. Not so much by physical pain, but by the coldness of others. Life seems worthless, meaningless, when there's no joy and there's no light. And if there's anyone that knows what that feels like, it's this woman in the Bible and the Scriptures that's recorded in John chapter 4. She came to the well at noon. She was expecting silence. She was expecting solitude. Instead, she found someone. She found someone who knew more about her than she knew about herself. He was seated there on the ground. His legs were stretched out by the well. His, his hands were crossed and, and he was leaning back up against the wall, the short stubby wall that was around the well. His eyes were closed. She looked at him and then she started to look around. He was all by himself. There was no one here. There was no one else near. And so she looked back at him. He was absolutely Jewish. You could tell. What was he doing here? 
in Samaria. His eyes opened and her eyes darted back, embarrassed, and she went about her task. (laughs) Jesus, he saw her discomfort and so he asked a natural question. He said, can I have a drink? But she was too street smart to think that all he wanted was a drink. And so she thought about it and was thinking, what does a man like this ask a woman like me? Why does he ask for a drink? She wanted to know what he really had in his mind. And to some degree, she was right. She was right because he had more on his mind than wanting water. For you see, he wanted her heart. And so they talked. I mean, man, for her, she couldn't remember the last time she had talked to a man that had a respectful tone towards her in a conversation like she was able to to engage with him on. He told her about a spring of water, a living water that would quench her thirst. She was intrigued by that. Sir, she said, give me this water. Give me this water so I don't have to come here and keep drawing water from this well. (laughs) So he replied, he said, hey. He said, go get your husband and come back. Her heart must have sunk. Here was a Jew who didn't care that she was a Samaritan. Here was a man who respected her as a woman and didn't look down on her. Here was the closest thing to gentleness that she'd probably ever experienced in life. And and then he asked about that. Anything but that. Please, don't ask about that. You know, maybe, maybe she considered lying. Oh, you know, my husband, well, he's... He, he's, he's not around. He, he, he's gone for a while. Maybe, maybe she considered changing the subject. Maybe she considered leaving. But she stayed. She stayed. And she told him the truth. I have no husband. You know, kindness sort of has a way of bringing out honesty. And that's sort of what happened. You know, I'm sure you've heard the rest of the story, most of us in this room. But in one sense, I wish you hadn't. Because you see, if you hadn't heard the story and know where it goes, then then you would you'd be thinking to yourself, you'd be sort of hanging on the next sentence and going, well, I mean, I wonder what happened. I, I, I wonder what Jesus did next? And why? Why? Well, could it be that all of us have a secret longing to be able to share that secret hidden sin that we're troubled with in our life and see how we would be accepted if someone else knew, in particular, if God knew? You wanted to take off the mask. You wanted to stop pretending. And you've wondered. You've wondered what would happen. 
if he knew. This woman wondered what Jesus would do, even though she really had no idea who he was at that moment. She was wondering, would that kindness go away when the truth was revealed about her life? Will he be angry? Will he leave? Will he lecture me with some kind of, boy, you've really messed up your life kind of talk? What would happen? Well, get out your pencil, mark it down, find the Scripture, because this is what Jesus did. Jesus just simply looked at her and He said, You're right. You have no husband. And you're not married to the man that you're living with now. There was no criticism. There was no anger. And there was no lecture that came. There was just simply a seeking that he had. You see, it's not perfection that Jesus is seeking. What Jesus is seeking is honesty. Honesty. Where are you at? What's true of your life? And the woman was amazed in that moment. She said, wow, I can, I can see that you're a prophet and that you're somebody special. There's something different about you. And so, so she made this big leap with this question that showed the gaping hole in her heart. Where is God? Was her question. My people say that He's on this mountain. Your people say that He's in Jerusalem. But I can't find Him. Where is God? <laughs> now, wouldn't you, you know, give a thousand sunsets or whatever if you could have been there in that moment to see Jesus' reaction to such a question that came to Him. A question of sincere hunger, seeking to know Truth to know life, to know God. I don't know if you know Jesus' eyes teared up with water or if He smiled at her or maybe He looked at the clouds and gave His Father a wink in the heavenlies. But He had a moment right there before Him. Where is God? And of all the places for a hungry heart, in Samaria, and of all the people in Samaria, to have a desire, an insatiable desire for God as a woman. A woman of brokenness that was ostracized, an outcast from her community. A five-time divorcee. Of all people, of all people, Jesus picked her. You know, He didn't tell King Herod. He didn't tell Herod, and he didn't tell, um, he didn't have like a news conference for the Sanhedrin, the temple leaders. And he didn't, you know, establish some reality show with, with the Roman cohort and announce to them who he was. He picked this obscure woman in Samaria that nobody would give attention to or respect to, and he picked her to reveal himself to. And so he just simply looked at her and he says, are you looking for the Messiah? I am the Messiah. 
Oh, now what kind of response would have happened in that moment? You know, probably one of the most important passages in this this whole lengthy dialogue of John 4 is verse 28 and 29. Then the woman left her water jar, went back to the town and said to the people there, come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? And you can't miss the drama of the moment. You've got to look into her eyes, wide with amazement, listen to her as she struggles for the words. She says, You are the Messiah? And then watch how she scrambles to her feet. She gets herself, turns around, and she starts running towards the village and almost runs smack into the disciples and probably falls off balance a little bit, gets herself picked up. She runs into the village and she finds the first person she can. And she says, I I found a man. I found a man who knows everything about me. And yet he still loves me. I think I found the one who could be the Messiah. God is here. God is near us. Here in Samaria, Sychar. Here in God. He cares. He cares about me. I think He would care about you too. That's sort of why she forgot her water jar. And sort of you can see the water jar symbolizing her burden in life. When she had somebody speak into her life, she left the burden in the chart, and she took off because she had something to share. She ran to the city and she grabbed people and she told them. Now the disciples came back and they offered food to Jesus, but he said, no thanks. I think maybe he was too excited too if you try to climb into to his world and his mission and what he was about. He had do, just done what he does best. He had taken a life that was drifting And had given it direction. He had taken a life that was dead. And had it come awake. And he still does it today. He still does it today. Friends, that's a great story. The great story and the way that some of the measures that I just told it came from. Max Lucado's version in a book called Six Hours on Friday. But a lot of times as we look at these biblical stories, they become so familiar to us that that we don't realize the radical nature involved at every turn from this story. Have you ever studied about the woman at the well? Maybe you've heard messages time and again about it. But the freshness of it never ceases to amaze me. The conversation that is found, the conversation that is found in John 4 is the lengthiest conversation in all of Scripture with Jesus and another person. Why does He take so much time? What do you think about Jesus' perspective? Do you think this was just a half-chance kind of connection point? Part of me wants to think so because we say, hey, you never know who you're going to meet this week and who you're supposed to share. You know, I think it was a divine appointment. You see, the Scriptures teach 
in John 3 that some ruckus had happened and there was concern about the Pharisees and their view of Jesus and that kind of thing. And so he decided to go from Jerusalem back up to the Galilee area. And if you know anything about Israel, there's, there's three sections to Israel during that time. There was the Judea area, the, Gal- uh, the Jerusalem area. Then at the top was the Sea of Galilee area. But then in the middle was Samaria. Samaria was no man's land, and no good Jew would go through Samaria. Why? Because it was unclean. The people were unclean. If you study the history of Israel, it goes all the way back to 722 B.C., when the ten northern tribes were expelled from the Israel uh, territory. At least the important ones were, were taken captive. Other Jewish people were left behind, but then they brought in foreigners, and those foreigners mixed with the Jewish people, and they became a different kind of breed in their people's mind. In fact, they established a hybrid of religion that had pagan religion combined together with some of the Jewish religion, and eventually they end up establishing their own place of worship. That's why she said the statement, you know, where is God at? Is he on this mountain here at Gezerim, or is he in Jerusalem? I don't know. I'm so confused. Where is God at? But one thing you didn't do as a Jew was go through Samaria. In fact, you would cross the Jordan and go on the east side of the Jordan and go up and then get to the Sea of Galilee that week. So you just didn't come across those kinds of people. But here's Jesus. He says, we have to go through Samaria. Why? Are we in a hurry? Necessarily. He knew there was somebody there. A story that we'd be talking about 2,000 years later that demonstrates his heart for every single man, woman, and child in our world. He cares no matter where they're at. No matter if they're ostracized or an outcast from society. No matter if they're broken down and the burden of their own sin and lost and even angry towards him. Jesus cares for every single person if they are honest with where they're at. He'll change their life. And so that's what he did. He came. Disciples, they were just interested in getting the belly filled. And so they figured, hey, we're going to go on in town a little bit. And there he was, left by himself, as we just depicted. She was stunned when she showed up. You see, there were different walls that Jesus was crossing. He was crossing a religious wall. He was crossing a gender wall. He was crossing a moral wall. All right? He was crossing an ethnic wall to be able to reach her. And you need to know this. If you're going to reach some people for Jesus, I'll just give you this straight on expectation. It's not always comfortable and you have to go places that you don't want to go. And you're going to have to cross some walls to be able to reach them. So don't think that you're just going to, well, whoever's just like me. No. Jesus didn't do that, and he would expect different of us as he was different. He crossed those barriers to reach this lady. That he would talk to a woman in public? Unheard of. That a Jew would talk to a Samaritan? Unheard of. And that he would ask for a drink of water from a utensil that she had used? Oh, unclean! Unclean! You see, it's hard for us to comprehend the animosity between these two groups. You would ought to take today like the Bosnians and Serbs or um, the the Jews and, and the Palestinians. It was just like this. But Jesus reached across those barriers to give her life. 
knew me in ways I didn't even know myself. Oh my goodness, isn't that scary? It's scary for me this morning. Jesus knows me. But it didn't cause her to run. Because for the first time, somebody really knew her that also was willing to accept her and to love her. How many people in our world are that way? They hide behind all kinds of masks of, of fallen sinfulness and attitudes and things that they carry with them. But underneath, there's a broken person who desires to be loved and cared for and see transformed in their own soul. Look beyond the exteriors, friends. With those that you're seeking to do ministry with, the summer, whenever. And look for the hunger inside of a person that wants to be told that they have worth, that they can be fully alive, that there's purpose and meaning, that there is joy and light that can come in to their world. Jesus was always looking past. But the person was helpless unless they were honest with themselves and said, here I am. Because you see, no one can come to the Lord Jesus Christ and experience life and come awake in Him unless they're also willing to come to repentance of their sin. Just a simple acknowledgement. It wasn't a laborsome thing here. I'm not quite sure exactly when this lady was saved, but it was probably somewhere between when she got up and left her jars and she headed into the village. Somewhere in that moment, something happened to her that she believed that He was the Messiah. You see, it's not that complicated to be saved, to be changed and transformed. But you have to be honest, admit where you're at, repent, if you will, of your sin, which isn't in some big sackcloth and ashes, but say, I've been heading the wrong way. I've been living a self-centered life. I've been indifferent to the things of God. I've been falling into all kinds of promiscuous behaviors or addictive behaviors or wrongful behaviors or carrying attitudes I shouldn't be carrying. And I need to be done with that because that's not the life I want to lead. And I want, I want, I want this guy. I want this God, this Messiah, this one who loves me and accepts me and who has plans and purpose for me. See, see, she didn't. She sort of, she actually did sort of what Philip did with Nathaniel. Remember that conversation from a couple weeks ago? Because she just went into the village. She said, come, come and see. Come and see what? A guy give a lecture up in front in a nice room? No, come and see a person. The person of Jesus Christ. And so, in our own life, if we're seeking to be saved, we're honest, we repent, and we come to Jesus. And if we're trying to reach those across the barriers, we're bringing them to see Jesus. Oh, it would be great to have them to church, and maybe church helps them come to know Jesus somehow, or you know, through the friendships that we're able to offer. But what we're ultimately asking people to do as a church body in coming awake and alive is to bring them to Jesus. And so that's why we have to uplift Jesus. And all it's done. I tell you what, there is enough sin and gunk and trash historically and things I wrestle with even in my own life right now that I don't want you bringing them to me. And I know you probably don't want them bringing them to you. But if you can bring them to Jesus and we can uplift Jesus in our body and uphold his glory and his beauty, oh, then there is hope for other people as well as there is hope for us. Jesus, come and see. He did not push her away. He spoke into her and gave her life. Well, where do we worship this God at? Is it here? Is it there? No, you don't understand. You don't understand. 
It's coming this day that geography doesn't matter. Church location doesn't matter. Style of worship doesn't matter, right? Style of preaching doesn't matter. You worship Jesus in spirit and in truth with authenticity of your spirit connecting with the spirit who is present in the world. His spirit. And you worship him in truth. That's how you worship Jesus. And so you can worship him wherever. Geography doesn't matter. And so she chose to worship him then and there. And then she was immediately turned into an evangelist. Uh, look into the fields there, white until harvest. People need the Lord. There's an old song. Well, I have to say old because I'm getting older. I used the song with the last week here. It's a pretty popular song. Fill my cup, Lord. Like the woman at the well, I was seeking for things that could not satisfy. And then I heard my Savior speaking, draw from my well that never will run dry. Do you know what? Fill my cup, Lord. Sing it with me if you know it. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill me up, fill me up and make me whole. Let's pray. Lord, a beautiful conversation you had with the Samaritan woman in Sychar amidst a very crowded day and schedule in your life, I'm sure. But you chose to go by the way of Samaria to reach her. And Lord Jesus, I just ask in these moments that if there's anyone here that you desire to reach out and breathe life into and cause to come awake this morning, as surely as you did with the woman at the well, then I pray that they would too would reach out and say, fill my cup, Lord, and come to you. In fact, I just pray with our heads bowed and eyes closed that there's anyone in this room who would ever doubt where their standing is with God. Maybe you've had some of the same questions concerning God in your own life. Where is He? Is He here? Is He near? Does He care? Maybe you're carrying a multitude of sin that needs to be forgiven and released. Maybe you're just a lost soul and you've never really known what it means to worship at all, whether in spirit or truth or whatever. If you are a person who has never come to know Jesus Christ and the beauty of who He is and the life that He can bring to you and you want to make a decision to come to Him this morning and follow Him, it's not some grandiose prayer. It's not some religious activity that you take on. You simply, by a volitional choice, an act of your will, you choose to embrace Him 
and become his follower. If you've never done that with heads bowed and eyes closed and, and you would like to just be included in a simple prayer to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, I just ask you to raise your hand before him. But it also enables me just to acknowledge, not by name in a prayer, but acknowledge before the Lord your hunger, your desire to be someone who's saved by a transforming Lord and Savior. Is there anyone this morning says me? I want Jesus to come into my life and change me. I want to become His follower. Anyone as I look around briefly, maybe there's been double-mindedness, insecurity in your own salvation, I want to pray for you. Lord, here this morning as well, I want to pray for us as a church body. These months of transition, transition that will continue. These weeks of opportunity, living under the banner of a new name called the Awakening Church. Lord, may you help us every hour of every day be a people who beckons others to become fully alive in you and to your mission. Lord, we are a blessed people as we prayed earlier, and we are a grateful people as we prayed earlier. But Lord, we are a needy people, and we need the power of your Spirit and your love flowing through us to be your agents of grace to a broken world. And so, Lord, I pray for your anointing and your strength upon us as a body. Lord, whether it's understanding a deeper level of truth that liberates us and sets us free and puts us on course to share with others, whether it's understanding a deeper intimacy with you in walking and spending time in your presence like we looked at last week. Lord, whatever it is, I just pray an anointing upon us as a body. And a, a, in that same prayer, Lord, I pray against the adversary and all of his host who would seek to wreak havoc upon us as individuals and a people that he is bound from doing so because of the finished work of the cross. And that we are called as a body to be a church that's awakened and call other people into new life in you. So, Lord, for those who need to be saved, Lord, for those of us who need to be about the work of an evangelist, like the lady at the well was, immediately upon embracing the good news of your Messiahship, may we be a people who tell others. Lord, we love you, and we worship you, and we acknowledge you as our Lord and Savior, the King of Kings. Let's sing this closing song in worship as we acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ. The ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as those connection cards. Um, Chris.